Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a new episode of The X Bottom, Season 3, Episode 43. I am your host, Alejandro. With me is my beloved co-host, who is one of three people complaining about the lack of weapon wheel in Spider-Man. Hi, everybody. I'm a better Spider-Man than everybody else, and I can prove it. <laughs> yeah. Paul, I told, you, I told you, I listened to every freaking spoiler cast that came out around the same time that ours came out, which people can go listen to it, came out last Saturday, and I wanted to hear if there were more people that had your exact same complaints about a weapon wheel that 99.9% of the population that played that game in normal difficulty didn't use, and lo and behold, three people I've heard complain about that. Paul is one of them. <laughs> Which goes to in my defense, if you look at the thread of comments on that video, there are a few others, maybe like still eight or nine max. (laughs) Because I scrolled through them. Yeah. But truthfully, it's clearly not um, like they made a bet and they it paid off because not enough people cared as much about it. But I Mm -hmm. did like the specific context that they talked about where the stealth took Mm -hmm. a huge hit in that process. But yeah, when. in that, especially in that IGN spoiler cast, which is the thing that I linked to. It's like, hey, look, I found someone yeah. else that mentioned it. And to the director on top of that. So it was like a, a direct conversation with the director. So And the fact that he acknowledged it, I was like, that feels nice. I can take my L after this. Yeah. Whether they're going to answer to that, it'll depend. Again, it's like it's all about heat mapping. They really check. It's like, yeah. you don't know, but it's like a lot of, especially right now that so many consoles are like connected online. There's always like secret parameters that they always check, which is heat mapping, where how they see people play their game. Like some uh, sometimes when so many games that t- uh, tell you to accept like terms of service and all that, it's in those terms of service that it's like they they keep track on on seeing the data and the data proved that people didn't like uh, slowing their gameplay down for the eight different gadgets. It's kind of like what I told you, and uh, it's so funny that it's not as common a complaint. I, I just find that so funny. But uh, Paul, uh, it's November now. Can you believe that? Nope. After every time you ask me, I can't yeah. believe it is November. Yeah. We have two months left till the end of the year and 2024 yeah. happens. Yeah. And it's like, uh, so it was like March, April, May. June, and we started uh, the year with threats of World War III. And we still getting them, baby. August, September, October. It's been eight months since you moved. Think about that. <laughs> And then two of those months you weren't without internet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, two um, of those months I was without decent internet. I, I yeah. kind of made it work in yes. certain areas. <laughs> no, I know, I know. It's, it, it, can you oh. believe that was happening? But think about it this way. It's like we're basically done with all the big games, like release season that we care about. In fact, we thought we were done last week. And then one more really mm-hmm. came in like a wrecking ball we we're going to talk about today. Uh, but it was like, now it's done. It's like that entire period that started in March when you moved to now, it's like that entire period is gone now. That those that eight-month bliss of constant entertainment. It's like, now we're out of it. It's like, now it, the, the desert's in front of us. And I'm kind of sad because I'm like, man, we're never going to get another like stretch of games like this, especially for games that we actually cared about. It's not a, it was not a stretch of games. like, okay, hopefully this is good. Okay, that seems interesting. But it was like, this was the year where our franchises had entries. All, almost all of them. They were, nope. were big enough. They were like, yeah, we've heard of that. We definitely want to try it. It's like, it's, it's, it's going to be bittersweet. Especially like with the year that it's also been with the behind-the-scenes travels and all that. That all of that kind of came together for... Man, it's like, 
amazing re releases and will this happen again with many people losing their jobs that's i want to i just kind of like want to cross that bridge when we get there because it's kind of sad to think about like the consequences of everything from this year but um but yeah, so like, let's at least celebrate for a little bit more because uh, this is the X Bottom Podcast, our gaming podcast that posts every Fridays from 2 p.m. onwards, God willing. Available in the YouTube channel Escape Gaming, as well as most audio services around the world. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the like. You can find links in the RSS feed at tinyurl.com slash escapegaming. If you enjoy our show, give us a like and subscribe. And uh, housekeeping, you can uh, listen to, kind of like I mentioned at the top of the show, you can listen to our spoiler cast for Marvel Spider-Man 2 that 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 came out the day after last week's episode posted that was originally the main episode was going to be our spoiler cast but enough things were happening that kind of like we mentioned we just kind of wanted to um give it more of its own time and not have it like shared the limelight with other stuff that week but yeah what's funny is that i'm actually going to do a follow-up to that spoiler cast because i realized that i have more to say that we didn't really cover because we were on the on a time crunch when we recorded it. and that's gonna be over at my buddy sebastian's show who i did uh kind of like uh reviews in 2023 of the first two games and we're gonna do that this one as a follow-up to those so that should be fun and should be a long conversation a long recap so paul we were playing we have been playing alan wake 2 we both beat alan wake 2 you beat it before i did uh I did yeah you blasted through it i wanted to savor it because i just knew if we're, at the time where we were, it's like, after this game was done, this was it. What else was, was coming? And I didn't want to, like, blew through that and then be depressed, which you I were. I would like to clarify. Um, I think I was going to be depressed no matter what. Uh, the second is that I was a bachelor for the weekend, and I got to, yeah. like, I knew I had an opportunity and a window to mm -hmm. experience this game 100% through the giant 55 inch screen tv mm -hmm. um giant 55 inch big screen tv there we yeah. go that's the word <laughs> uh, i knew i forgot the word in there mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so that was what i did uh that whole weekend i spent a lot more time than i normally do though um mm -hmm. going Just through fun. it and even though it felt like i spent less days on it i feel like i put a lot of hours into it mm -hmm. and what a game that was huh yeah uh, that was barely a game anymore like it's it sounds so hyperbolic hyperbolic <laughs> to be like it transcends the medium that it was made in it's like all right buddy calm down but on the realness um it does Alan Wake 2 does something super unique mm -hmm. it uses the concept like the best non-spoiler way i can describe mm -hmm. it is imagine if you were playing Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, and you thought, man, this portal thing where you're, like, you're kind of running around simultaneously in different worlds, that's really cool. I wonder if somewhere that was like not really as much of a kid's game ever latched onto that concept and really made something interesting with several worlds at the same time, and not the medium, which was another game that tried to do that. <laughs> We're not talking about that here, though. And Alan Wake 2 is absolutely one of the first games that I would think really pushed it more than a gimmick. And it was like a true powerhouse of a technological exhibit. And it was fantastic. Yeah, it's um, this game is 13 years of pent up creativity that Remedy, the developer, had to keep in 
before unleashing because they've been wanting to make this game ever since the first Alan Wake that came out in 2010 came out. Obviously, they that game came out. They did like two small DLCs. They did like a smaller, uh, a smaller, uh, a smaller game in between there called American Nightmare. But it was like Alan Wake was something that this the studio really latched onto that Microsoft eventually was like not interested to continue in continuing because it wasn't a huge seller. So. That's kind of when Quantum Break happened, and then how they how they pivoted away to control. But uh, Remedy had always been like with that idea, like we miss Alan Wake, we miss it. It's like we feel that like we had more to say with that game, especially if they were touching on some element. There, there's something about Alan Wake out of like older games that they've made since Max Payne One and Two, Alan Wake, Quantum Break, and Control are like the big five. That with with Alan Wake is where, where, where they feel the most creative in, in their storytelling or kind of using it as a conduit for like the for an actual meta narrative about stories writers and storytelling and the nature of storytelling they barely scratch the surface there but when you play Alan Wake 2 that is like tackled more than 100% head-on kind of like all those tiny things that they were scratching Alan Wake in the first Alan Wake which you do you finish uh the first one because I know you went back to it yeah, so. I went back to it after finishing the second one, which I was going to mention a few things about it in mm -hmm. relation to this one. But um, what a way to take two very different approaches to the game itself mechanically mm -hmm. and somehow knock it out of the park in both times. Because like I wasn't a big Alan Wake original guy. It somehow like came and went past me. I would see it on the shelves and I was like, this doesn't really interest me all that much. And only like way after the fact, hearing all of the good things, mm -hmm. getting it the remastered version for free, and thinking, "Nah, I think I'm fine." Mm -hmm. And then I finally realized I had to go back and revisit it, and boy, was I glad I did. Yeah. Um. Because what a what a weirdly intricate game. Like we likened it to Metal Gear Solid for the old versions yeah. uh where just like the physics of things the way things get knocked over the way you can move around is so fluid the dodging mechanics like it is a fighting game level of hitbox where mm -hmm. i've watched alan dodge out of the way of one of the axes and it will miss him by just mm -hmm. inches and like you're good it just it feels so intense at all times where it's just this run and gun vibe uh with darkness based creepy oogie spooky you're talking the first or second one first first okay. 100 yeah. mm -hmm. um and then the second one of course you have much like more polished words on the second than i could ever really mm -hmm. muster but at the same time it just it felt like i sunk into this warm tar pit where i could not get out but i didn't want to mm -hmm. i was terrified and let me clarify this game is horrifying the second one yeah. it, yes the second one um mm -hmm. the first one can have its moments it's got a couple little spooks here and there and yeah. little moments where like you think you're safe and you get one of those npcs with an axe right behind you mm -hmm. or the creepy funeral lady that yeah. likes to show up randomly and give you jump scares but mm -hmm. alan wake 2 is 100 um like the max i think i could ever handle with like something being scary that's not just like five nights at freddy's or outlasts mm -hmm. like we're yeah. going to go overly like yeah, gory and jump it's, it's, it's not it's not even just gore because i don't like the game is bloody especially because alan wake 2 That's went I mean. and like it's yeah. not doing that 
Yeah, it's when Alan Wake 2 went M-rated, the first one was T-rated. So mm -hmm. there is certainly more violence and more startling imagery. I mean, you see a big naked guy at the beginning, like a completely full frontal. You can I censor it if you want, but uh, but but it's like um, the the game definitely the the sequel definitely decided to go into more psychological horror in how it's like it manipulates your reality, what reality can be, uh, the immediate jump scares that you never expect because it's like a quick cutaway of like a of like a great character screaming at you that's like eventually gets really overbearing like in the mid later part of that game in a specific section that it just kept getting like more and more and louder and louder that to the point that it was like kind of like you, you could be shaking off uh, of everything at a at a certain point but uh it's it's also funny funny enough is like there's no real monsters in this game it's like the scary factor of the second game is similar to the first game is just that the way it's presented with like the massive leaps in presentation with the second game on top of the visual quality which i do feel like uh not really thinking about it, i think this is currently the best looking game available on any anywhere especially if you're on pc i've seen some of those screenshots it's unbelievable how beautiful this thing is and even on console it's not a slouch either it's like yes there's like a some slight image deconstruction jaggies, especially if you're playing on, on on the performance mode. But the visual style and and and, and just the entire vibe of literally every everywhere you go, from Bright Falls, the main like like the main map, to Cauldron Lake, and it's like uh, and it's sunsets, then at, into the dark place, which is kind of like where a lot of like the more cerebral parts are happening, which is where you play as Alan Wake most of the time in the sequel. It's just like. The, just the visual punch of everything is like so evocative and in and, and just a fantastic uh showcase of remedy as storytellers that they are they are kind of like unsung heroes in, in video game storytelling because they have always pursued kind of like those filmic qualities going all the way back to max Payne, to the point that even it's so funny like this game also uh, makes reference to the idea of max Payne almost pretty literally with that character of alex casey who, if you see the face of the character, that's uh, that's Sam Blake, the director. So it's like it can be very self-indulgent, but it's like it's it's so funny when you understand the the nature of what Remedy has been doing and pursuing in most of their games with their uh, stylish stylish qualities and storytelling and all that, and how all this game is like an amalgamation of literally everything, kind of like that. The invoice conversations is like that started all the way back in Ma in, in Max Payne. Um, that obviously kind of like the nature of storytelling alone that was like all about Alan Wake. Uh, the only the only game that I don't feel is quite represented here, it's Quantum Break. Other than kind of like maybe the visual quality style, and, there is and an actor, a, apparently an actor. several references besides the actor. Yeah, which um, is John Ashmore, which is like uh, who was the main right. character in, in in that game. But it's like uh, the references are not as overt as everything else, including Control, which is like probably the most direct. Uh, direct reference you see in this game and it's basically this solidifies the rcu the remedy connected universe uh, in, in a way that works that you play if you play control in 2019 you play this they're wildly different games but they both work they both feel like they're part of uh they're they're, they're part of the same universe in a way that uh, i was talking with uh rick hogue the uh, the lawyer that i got that that he came came into the show like two weeks ago. He's a huge, 
huge Alan Wake fan. That's like a top five game for him, and he hated he hated Control, uh, but specifically the storytelling of Control because Control is very abstract. It's so yeah yeah. Tell me what, what's Control about, Paul? It is about a lady who goes into a building and is somehow gaslit into becoming the director of it mm-hmm. and then has to fix all of the Twilight Zone shenanigans mm-hmm. while everybody else acts super per- uh, pretentious. Yeah. And and that and that alone is kind of like why uh Hulk hated Control because it's like uh it was both uh esoteric surface level and no depth, kind of like at least Alan Wake that really gets into the in, into the uh, into the weeds of what storytelling actually means. It, it's like those games couldn't be more like like, like more far it's apart. So like because control is such a wide reaching concept where Alan mm. Wake is very intimate to him, his life yeah. and his story. Mm-hmm. And control is like, oh, you stumbled across the secret environment of the government agency of the FBC. Mm-hmm. And there's a crap ton of problems going on. But it's mm-hmm. like Alan Wakes is all about this one problem happening in this one little zone, and because of how focused it is, I th- I could see why Hogue liked it a lot more. Yeah, and and also uh, there was a certain kind of like a weirdness to the dark place in the first game. There was like it was not it was not easily explainable, and sometimes in horror, it's very it's cooler when like you really can't explain stuff. And Control yeah. made it seem like they were trying to like justify and explain almost everything. They found the perfect middle spot where. The existence of the FBC, the Federal Bureau of Control, that's all about like finding this weird stuff, is like doesn't eliminate the mysticism of the dark place or like what the yeah. dark place is. Like both things like work so well, and it just extra enhances the power of the storytelling of Alan Wake and Alan Wake Two, because it's like you know that there's there's kind of like the man of science versus man of faith style of kind of like debates of the weirdness of what's happening in the dark place versus like the things that an agency can see from the outside and trying to explain the weirdness of of kind of like what's happening and that just makes the storytelling so much more compelling and even more compelling in Alan Wake 2 their willingness to tone shifts my god is like this game is like so damn weird in the best possible ways that I had stupid smiles on on, on how like on how wild some of these swings are especially because it brings together like the mastery of how this game mixes the in-game storytelling with uh their in- in-game graphics like cutscenes to actual fmbs and all of that back and forth and the marriage of both elements together in a way that they had always been toying around with their games especially because uh, control also had live action like tv uh TVs that you can watch something if you wanted to. So it's like that's always been mm-hmm. something that they always do. But I feel Remedy was like, we've been doing all that, we're gonna master it. So there are just some sequences in this game that are like high up there as some of the, my favorites from the year. Especially that we're gonna have a little section of spoilers, people, just so you know, because I mean, there's so much about this game that's so awesome that can't quite be talked about without like talking spoilers. But we're gonna let you know like what that is. Uh, and when when we're gonna go more free willing, and I'm gonna timestamp it so you can like uh, move 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 away and listen to the rest of this episode without spoiling yourself if you're interested in playing Alan Wake too. But chapter four of the Alan Wake side of things. Enough said. That's all. That, that's all I have. To, uh, that's all I have to say. Is like when that happened, it was like Paul had teased me early on about something. Yep. Based on something that happened in Control that I'm not gonna mention either because that can give you kind of like an idea. But even if you know the idea. 
when you get there, like, it's like... You're not prepared. No. You're not prepared. You're absolutely not prepared. It's like, this game is like, it's overindulgent in a way that feels earned. We were talking about Spider-Man, that the flashbacks uh, to, uh, early in that game uh, felt very self-indulgent in a way that didn't add to the game. In fact, was distracting. It felt more like bloat. The in- indulgence of this game works on the context of the narrative that it's telling. It's like, there's something I was telling yesterday. It's like, when we think about meta-narratives or kind of like uh, breaking forth walls and all that, when people think about that, they think Deadpool or Joss Whedon. Because when people think about for- fourth wall breaking, they think of irreverence. Like, it being, in on the, be, being in on the joke, being like all quippy and quirky about it and all that. I feel like... Um, Feel feel like you're uh, you're you're ahead of something. You're beyond something. You're making fun of something. That's kind of like what meta narrative has kind of been known in modern times. But Alan Wake Two is an example of meta narrative being done in a serious way that works. That manages to be in on the joke without ever breaking intentionally the tone of what it's going for, even when it breaks tone. But that's kind of part of like the shape of the story that they're telling in the, in this game and how that how that continues to like the story of who Alan Wake is, how he got there, the 13 years he has been trapped in this place ever since the first game finished, and how they deal with that. And uh, and kind of like the game makes fun of the fact that he's just a hack writer. And that's like made more... That, that, that's like, that was also an element of the first game. And the game, and, and the game, Sam Lake, the writers of Remedy, being in on the joke that Alan Wake is not supposed to be this prestigious writer, and that's kind of like part of the text. It adds to the brilliance of of Alan Wake, especially with the second game, and uh, and then as a survival horror game, I just feel that they did intentional clunkiness compared to the first game, because uh, the first game was action heavy. It, in fact, controls super well. I would say like it's a very snappy. Uh, Alan moves really fast and all that. Um, they had mentioned a lot that they felt that uh, they, because they come from shooter, from they were a shooter studio with Max Payne One and Max Payne Two. Those were like early examples of great third-person shooting before like the Gears of War era and third-person shooters became more in vogue. Uh, their background made the first Alan Wake more of a shooter than they wanted to. They they had said that that's something that that was one of their biggest regrets of the first game. If they if they could go back and and tweak stuff because when you make something more actiony, even if you throw horror stuff, it's not survival horror. And they and they kind of wanted to put more survival horror into the Alan Wake side of things. And I feel they did that with Alan, with Alan Wake too, especially from normal difficulty forward. It's like in in normal play in the original. Correct me if I'm wrong, Paul. Like you can down an enemy in like one or two shots. Yeah. After the no, after the light after 100%. like you, you, use, you use the light and then one two shots is down. Uh, Later on in the storyline, mm-hmm. it starts to take more shots to down the default enemies, and there's more of the larger ones. So then mm-hmm. it goes to like four or five or six shots, depending on how you hit it. And it's it's honestly really imprecise on where you end up hitting on the body because mm-hmm. you aim without a reticle. Yeah, you use the light. light uh-huh. Uh-huh. And unless you're zooming in, you're just kind of like, all right, it's on their body. I'm going to fire. Very old Resident Evil style. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, that, to your point, that's, uh, yeah, completely changed. Pretty easy, very yeah. easy. Compared, compared to all in wake two, that takes many hours before you even face one enemy. And then when you face one enemy, normal difficulty, it takes bullets to bring him down bullets. And 
they have also nerfed some mechanics before in uh, in, in Alan Wake uh, One only by aiming your uh, your flashlight, like just passively, it could start like uh, illuminating the enemies because obviously the mechanic, the, the combat mechanic for Alan Wake, is unique combat mechanic is that a lot of the enemies that you face are shadows that your light takes them out of the shadows for you to be able to kill them, and. And you could like passively just be like just staring and if you aimed that would help sometimes like at, at, at exposing an enemy much quicker but there was kind of like a rhythm that you, you didn't always need to be aiming to expose those enemies and that was kind of like the fast flow state of the combat of the first game in island wake 2 because it's more of a survival horror thing now seeing an enemy that's like discovered in that shadow just by aiming with your flashlight that doesn't work anymore you have limited times where your flashlight can have like extra light that that's what exposes it and it's finite on top of like the finiteness of the of, of your inventory in that game that you could get screwed if like if you mess up like being able to use the light to, to expose an enemy on top of the uh, on top of the bullet sponginess of, of some sequence there was a at a certain point um i did try the, the game is at least very easy to switch difficulty on the fly without penalizing you so if you're looking into 100%ing it, like to getting a platinum trophy or something like that, and you don't want to deal with maybe headaches of the breathless nature of feeling like you're fighting for your life almost all the time, which is something that I feel this game nailed, uh, you can put it in the story difficulty, which makes the game feel like the first game, or as close as it can. Uh, I had a conversation with Gene Park about that on, on over on Twitter, and he did the same, that it was like, because he had made notice, like, yeah, it's like, I like this game, but it's like, Am I crazy about the controls? Like, is it like, doesn't it feel clunky? And I'm like, yeah, it feels intentionally clunky. Like they say, they said back in 2021 when they announced this game, they were going to. They said we're doing full, full on survival horror, and survival horror is about clunkiness. Because in that clunkiness, you emerging out of that clunkiness, like you always have to feel breathless. And a lot of sequels, especially when you're playing with Alan Wake in the dark place, like with teleporting enemies, and you're getting overwhelmed, and you're limited. And, and you're only having a handgun and a shotgun and a shotgun and your flare pistol, like you you feel you feel breathless, and it definitely feels like uh, pr- part of the normal play of that game is that you're running away, like it's not about yeah. killing everything. And I feel that's exactly what old school Resident Evil was. When you're playing that original Resident Evil, it's not about killing all the zombies. You do that, you're getting you're gonna screw yourself, and uh, mm-hmm. by by using by by using all your uh, uh, by using all your items and even then like in that original resident evil game there was like you would kill zombies and they would come back maybe as reds as those right the scary red things that would run much faster that were so horrifying it's like that was part of the survival horror charm that i feel on wake 2 at least hits but i can also see people that love the first game's combat taking issue with the slower pace of 2 the harder nature of 2 like there was an early boss fight uh the first boss fight in the game against uh, against the dude with the full frontal wiener that took me a while. Mm-hmm. He was a bullet sponge, it, like, and especially the nature of that boss fight with like the monochromatic like distortions happening, me running out of bullets, me running around trying to find the uh, containers to see if the, those containers would have batteries or more bullets, and me realizing that I screwed myself in that boss fight because I didn't get a shotgun when I could have gotten it, so I did it all with a handgun. I was like, it made it much harder on me, but that's also survival horror. If you're not thorough, yeah, the ways the game signposts you, 
you couldn't I mean, I remember yeah. resident evil 2 where i mean if you didn't find the codes for things if you didn't find the right combination for a safe uh you'd be struggling with no inventory no weapons no ammo like that's part of the of the dna of the horror genre especially the survival horror genre so um it was kind of lost my train of thought there for a second because you talked so long <laughs> <laughs> but it's really impressive how it's somehow um that's what it was mm -hmm. the fact that you like you said you don't fight your first enemy for several hours of the game it is all about um the investigation and i wanted to take a minute to yes. talk about that side of it the saga where... anders the saga anderson side of things which is the uh, secondary yeah. character of this game which is technically is the main character the she, yeah. she is the primary character of this game and in a way like in the kojima nature of things like taking a taking a boat or uh, taking a page of the metal gear solid 2 like idea metal gear solid 2 is about solid snake mm -hmm. it's just not about you playing a solid snake but it, like the nature of solid snake it's 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 tell it's the, it's telling a lot about that story while you play as alan wake a lot in this game it's like it's, it is about the stories he's telling, the stories he's narrating you. Saga Anderson, the character that you use in these investigations while you're in Bright Falls, kind of like having to deal with their constant uh, uh, writing from Alan Wake as he's shaping a story and you're trying to play into that story. It's like, it's so clever how the game is still like, even you, even as you don't play as Alan Wake, you don't feel the oppression of not being able to play as the title main character because of the, how the story tells the, like, this tale. <laughs> how uh his cohort is uh far less pretentious than he is so it's yeah. <laughs> kind of nice to listen to her inner monologue as opposed to his mm -hmm. but on on the real side um it's there's something that feels so different of like hearing i don't know playing as like the member of the fbi mm -hmm. where like she's smart and she, you know that she can handle herself as opposed to alan who's mm -hmm. just like a guy bumbling. yeah he's a bumbling idiot <laughs> and like picked up a gun and a flashlight and is surviving at the just the barest skin of his teeth but the the best thing i think the way i described it to you once was that while saga is trying to like press forward taking mm -hmm. ground pushing in uh alan is running and yeah. running and running the entirety of it is like a pure opposite dichotomy between the way both of them play where like Alan somehow has to avoid and run away from most of his problems, even mm -hmm. though most of them can teleport faster than he can run. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a whole thing. But like Saga's, uh, there's only one enemy type in her whole thing that ever mm -hmm. teleports and they never teleport toward her. They mm -hmm. teleport away or to the side to throw something at you. Mm -hmm. And it's just a completely different vibe for that whole thing. Um, the way I, I do have to mention before I forget, just the way the investigation is laid out in this game. The mind the mind palace or whatever the thing's I, called. Yeah, the, the mind room is what she mind calls room, huh? it. But the fact that you can not only somehow visualize and gamify the concept of like a detective figuring out pieces and parts of something. It's like, did you ever watch the TV show Psych? Yeah. I remember Psych. Yeah. So, you know, like the whole idea where his whole thing is he, he looks at something and then it highlights it. I kind of mm -hmm. pictured that the whole time where she would look yeah. at something and you click on it. You don't have to like do, I don't know, I have to explain it outside of like, you don't have to do the work of like the boring part of the investigation. 
Mm -hmm. All you have to do is put it together, and then half the time you're figuring out things faster than Saga does. Yeah. And that's like the signs of a really good mystery where you're putting it together, you're figuring out little pieces of it. And that's not, not to also say that you are going to be completely thrown for a loop and like plot twisted to hell and back, literally. Yeah. Um, and when you have it all, it is. And, and, and because this game is all about the string theory of like being able to like connect everything. It also helps you kind of keep track of where things are because this is a very complex tale that it's telling, especially with the weirdness of everyone and, and in the place where you are thinking something different or not like re, uh, not not being part of the same reality that you came into the original town uh, with and seeing like how how that has changed and you trying to figure those pieces out is really the the mind palace really helps do, to do that because. It's very it, it's very brave, I would say, especially because we haven't seen detective work done like this since Ellie Noir, and even Ellie Noir was very uh, it that game specifically hinged too much on the you interrogating people and seeing if they uh, if they were telling the truth, half truth or a lie, and kind of like that weird uh, that weird in between that was kind of broken, especially because it was all about like that. It was like oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm gonna tell you something. And, and you have to see like that. And it was so, they have this really obnoxious face going on. Yeah, because obviously they were they were uh, back back in the day they were trying to do something new with technology, which I can appreciate. But uh, I, I I do understand the idea because you sometimes know when someone's like lying, like what their facial expressions can be. But in that game, it felt a little too overly uh, animated in a way that was too comical, and then at the same time, it was very inconsistent. So the detective work was flawed. In that detective-heavy game, in a way that at least the the detective side of a game like Alan Wake 2 feels intentionally pared back, very like straightforward with what it needs to be. Sometimes can be really confusing because I constantly have to go into the. You can be like, "What the hell am I supposed to do?" I'm like, "Ah, the mind, the, the mind. Uh, go back to your mind room, connect the dots, and keep like string a string theory. Have your inner monologue conversations, kind of like read the profile of your of the different people, and kind of have that kind of like mental conversation." With some of the different people you uh, you interact with, and again, a showcase of like the beautiful storytelling techniques of like just that when the room turns green and you see Saga and kind of like the live action things just playing in the in the background and kind of like the more muffled of of the voices. It's it's such a presentational marvel. This game It's like that's like what it's like. It's a hard game to put down. It can sometimes be very exhausting in in, in some ways because it, it, it does, survival horror games are inherently exhausting. But the, the the level of presentation of this game and mixing all those little details makes you super engrossed. Especially like when with a story as intricate as this one, as interesting as this one, as and looking as beautiful as it does. And for a game that just nails the survival horror fundamentals, uh, this is the best game I played this year, Paul. In, a, in an amazing year of games, the surprise of how good this was and kind of all, all of this kind of... This reminds me in a, in a way to what Elden Ring did to From Software last year. Mm. Bringing uh, like that studio's entire catalog into like a master uh, stroke. And I feel and, and I feel Alan Wake 2 is that for Remedy. Like see, see, seeing all of that. It's like I was like left... Uh, Dude, I st spent until 3 a.m. yesterday trying to beat it. Obviously, because I wanted to see if I could finish it before we recorded, but I wouldn't have done that if I wasn't enjoying myself. And so in some moments, we got to talk. Yeah, we're going to start spoilers, people. Check the notes now, and then you can check uh, You can you can check the timestamp when we're ending. So spoilers start now. 
the freaking now they're starting. Yes. I thought we've been talking spoilers no, this whole time. No, we're barely well, talk spoilers. The thing no. that I haven't really yeah. said anything spoilery. No, you really but haven't. Well, you really haven't. It's like come on. I mean, come I on, did the rock by accident. Yeah, but you, that was I wouldn't consider that spoiler like what you just said. But like now, like the freaking rock and roll thing. At the like at the at the end of like the waves coming in and the old Asgard guy when you're fighting all those monsters like earlier I mentioned chapter four, uh, mm -hmm. the the fourth chapter being a musical that tells yep. Alan Wake's entire story with like a mix of live action like performances by David Harewood the actor that plays Alan Wake the the old Asgard bands which they get to play with you like in in, in the normal area. And you had mentioned that that part was the ashtray mace of that uh, of, of that game, but it, it, because it's like yes, a game uh, a section very defined by music, but I feel that one took it further because the the thing that that made ashtray mace so cool was uh, because it was a fun combat sequence in a, in a cool environment, and the rock and roll song at the background was like was like super was a really cool moment. This is way different because. Uh, that musical was like storytelling. In fact, mm -hmm. if you never if you never played the original one. It's That's like exposition. Like a, exposition. It explains it exactly up. what had happened to that point at the same time as being a confrontation, um, being sort of a breather from some heavy, like early stage horror that we were dealing with. I mean, we'd just probably fought, I think you said the two guys that kept crawling out mm -hmm. of the, the well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was like this all of a sudden you're like big breather you can enjoy yourself but also the reason one of the reasons why i called it the ashtray maze is because while it starts off as very like there's a puzzle and it's mostly walking through for exposition by the end you are getting a ton of these flare gun ammo uh -huh. you are fragging out with all of what you have to this crazy guitar solo just uh -huh. shooting everything left and right you've got a ton of ammo and then you never see something like that again until like the end of saga but alan i would say it's the the only time you get the most resources mm -hmm. as alan and like his whole portion of the game which is kind of why I, I was thinking like oh it's like the ashtray maze where they give you this like tight cramped, empower empowering place, moment empowering mm -hmm. rock album just shoot everything blow everything out um the way that all of that played out while well, it's yeah, still telling the alan wake story and in the background yep. so it's kind of like the idea of the actual maze taken into the next level in a way more creative way and everyone that participated in in that entire sequence like they were having a ball with because you see the, the actors the real life actors like just yep. fully They're like just fully in yeah Having the most especially at the, fun. Yeah, especially at the end when you think it's almost over and it just keeps going and then it, it goes into like the talk show and they are doing like the the, the the musical dance number. I was like, man, this is like so brilliant. The the entire motif of the uh, of, of, of the talk show also is like uh, th that's kind of how uh, some of the initial Mr. Door. Yeah, with the, with the Mr. Door guy is like, oh man, it's like there's so many like clever like analogs to the story, like in how they were presenting it. Uh, everything with Tom Sane, yeah. Uh, when you when you entered the big. Uh, when you enter the big hotel, that oh yeah, it's like one of the creepiest um, mo moments in, in 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 this entire game. Well, and we're back now. Like after the dark place tried to like interrupt us <laughs> a little bit. That's that, that seemed very very meta. But but yeah, it's like everything about about the talk show. And I think I was I was mentioning the hotel with Tom Sane. Like when you when you go there and 
how that's like one of the clear examples, like probably one of the cooler things that happens when you're playing as Alan is because he, Alan also has his mind place, which is the writer's room. And you go into like his board yep. and you manipulate the environment like through his writing where he like writes a different scene for a specific place and it immediately changes in, in right in front of your eyes. And, you, and that that's kind of part of a, a progression that happens with this game. And some of the horrifying stuff that happens in, like in, in that side, like when you're pursuing the devil, Mr. Scratch, in in, in the hotels, like there was like sure. some really uh, some really startling imagery as, as, as you start like unraveling some of the mystery of this cult of the word, and 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 the nature of Mr. Scratch. And I would say like you could figure out something about Mr. Scratch like really early, and it, the game still managed to surprise me. It'd be like, huh, interesting, like. Um, because obviously, uh, there's a point in the story where uh, you see Alan Wake le- leaps the dark place. That's kind of where you meet him when you're playing a song after the early hours. But then, around that time, that's when the game allows you to switch. Uh, if you go to the, to a bathroom and there's like kind of like a janitor leak, that's how you can switch chapters. If you want to be like, no, I want to play as Alan now. Or I want to play yeah. as Saga. And so and, and then it's like when you're switching to Alan, you're like, okay, why am I going to Alan if he's outside? But then, uh, it, then it, at a moment, it's like, oh... It makes sense, especially when you realize it's like the big villain is Mr. Scratch, which is like a, a representation of the Dark Place and, and the, uh, the Dark Place entity that has been hunting Alan since American Nightmare. And one of the last two, uh, I think it was the second DLC from the main game. Uh, that's that introduced Mr. Scratch, the idea of Mr. Scratch. And then I was just like, oh yeah, Mr. Scratch is the one that's, uh, that's outside. So of course, it's like the evil one was the one that got out and our hero is still like trapped there. You just didn't realize that later on it's like, uh, no, it's like there's time manipulation happening in, the, in this game where it was like, it was our Alan all along displaced and possessed. And like, and, and, and th- th- those elements really, really hit. Um, you had mentioned to me that there was like uh, something later in the in, in the game that you found you found really emotional. I found two of those moments. One. Uh, ah, yes. The, yes. Uh, one was the fate of uh, of Alice. His, his wife that he who he goes to the dark place in the first place in the first game and and then you realize in like the videos that you find from her are basically like a suicide note when that when that happened I was like damn but it was it <laughs> so, it God, wasn't you, yeah because um the, keep I think I must be out of sync with you yeah you're like freezing I don't know what's happening yeah are you but you're not frozen yeah, now everything's so. good on my end yeah. yeah, you haven't even frozen at all to me. It's just all of a sudden, I guess, somehow yeah. my side. Yeah, your, your side froze. It's like, I feel I feel like I'm talking to Alan Wake at this moment. This is so funny. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, it, like the reveal of the wife. and But then uh, how that game touches on inner monologue when you're in the final chapter with Saga in the mind room. And you're kind of like putting like all the, all the different things and you're basically putting all her insecurities on the, like on, on on the board and i was like holy yep. crap that's usually how it feels if you're someone that suffers from self-doubt those are the kinds of the kinds of inner monologues that you happen and i found that super effective i don't know if that's the that that was the thing that you were referencing but when that was happening i was like damn it's like through the through through the game's mechanics like using the same mechanics that you've been doing the entire game in the mind in, in your investigations as saga like to be able to kind of like hit some emotional nerve of in like, like, of inner fear, inner dialogue, and in how they presented it, 
was like so cool. Like, and again, kind of like the power of this game. Because think about it this way: in a Kojima game, I could all, I only thought of Sam trapped on the beach at the end of uh, at the end of the stranding when Amelie's preaching at you, and how they, that 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 entire section is about you trying to commit <laughs> to be like to relieve me from this torture. Imagine if Kojima had made like a section like this; that it would have been a little bit more ponderous. But in in, in Alan Wake Two, like that final section was like. All through the exact same mechanics is still like inherently using the mechanics of this video game to be able to like convey something like that. That still made sense with like what it tells about the nature of stories and heroes and the failure of a hero or the nature of like a horror story or like the ultimate denouement of a horror story. It's like it touches on literally all of that in a way that if you've ever been interested in writing story or any stories, like Alan Wake 2 really, really is like a like a really sharp commentary on what it's like what it's like to be a writer and it's so, so i want to add some stuff into that but am i cutting out again no you're not okay so t- uh, warn me if i start because i want to try to like uninterruptedly mm-hmm. and you cut the son of a gun now no, yeah okay. now no, you're back, back. <laughs> so i want to get some uninterrupted thoughts in before i yeah. start Hutting in and out like Alan uh, mm-hmm. himself. Incredible. Uh, it's essentially, um, the the one thing that I really loved emotionally wise about that whole thing was, like you said, when uh, Saga's in the mind place, she's getting like the worst of all of this process is spreading. Uh, everybody's considering her daughter to be dead, which mm-hmm. is like the sign that she's failing um her she tries to finally call her husband her husband acts like they've been divorced for several years and it's like her whole reality is starting to shift and she's the only person that believes the truth out of this but she's mm-hmm. being gaslit at every turn by everybody going like died and your husband's gone and you came here in disgrace and all that stuff and sh- it is visualized on the board everything you try to put up every clue like everything is wiped out from her clues her files are gone you're putting things up there and like it's things like intrusive thoughts essentially in such a perfectly visualized way where it's like you let your daughter die you're a terrible detective your friends don't actually like you uh you're a horrible and it's like all of these things that all of us tell ourselves constantly and the way that she keeps fighting through that and then the only way she can beat it is not by putting more stuff on the board because that just at a certain point keeps looping you Mm -hmm. but you have to go around and find small positive things that are physically around you Mm -hmm. to gain the strength to keep going and like the fact that she finds a commendation from the fbi she finds a picture of uh her buddy Mm -hmm. uh, alex casey she finds um letters from her daughter yeah it's letters from her daughter and all of this stuff together she starts laying it down on the board and it like undoes the other work because it's like clearly i'm worth it because like i might not be perfect but i'm doing a decent job i'm trying my best i that's all i can do i can't expect to be it's what i was saying perfect. it's like it's what i was saying it's, it's so incredible that the entire sequence over here just like i get racked with fear constantly and things and when saga was like finally finished it all and opened the door and she was like i might be afraid and that's okay but i can't let it stop me from trying and i was like 
let's mm-hmm. go like that was so hype for something so intimate and small and for mm-hmm. it being like an emotional turning point for somebody i mean it's like i don't want to just blindly compare it to the you are not ifrit i am from final mm-hmm. fantasy 16 but yeah without the bombast it has a very similar emotional connection to me with that like owning who you are mm-hmm. and pushing past that and then on top of it you get like this crazy rock concert at a beach where you just shotgun dudes in the face and stuff (laughs) and all of this other stuff that goes on during that process and everything else that goes on and like i like to think that i'm a writer sometimes as well Mm -hmm. and the all of the stuff that alan goes through the constant like rewriting things it has to be perfect like the Mm -hmm. perfectionism that hits you and then feeling like all of a sudden you have no desire to write it, it's it feels like there's something in your head stopping you almost it is mm-hmm. just there's so many levers levels you could take it to and angles that you can come at it from depending on where you are in your life or what you're interested in mm-hmm. and it hits the same emotional through line so well as so many other things and then on top of it you have just this crazy gameplay shift with different genres of the game being played out in front of you the tech masterpiece how gorgeous it is and it's just like the perfect blend of just about everything and i was not expecting what we got out of alan wake 2 but um i guess to put a little bow on it i am Mm -hmm. so glad that i got to experience that and one day probably in the next few months i'm going to absolutely play it again new game plus like we're waiting for spider-man for him because another game that didn't decide to launch with new game plus immediately (laughs) it's sad but but yeah it's like this is uh this and armor core 6 are like the two big surprises for me this year and that my anticipation for uh, for other games was like much higher than this one but these were like the two games that i have come out loving more than many of the ones that i was anticipating and and part of me that that's kind of like the beauty of gaming being able to find surprises things that you know you're not gonna you're you're going to love just because that that was kind of like one of the things that was probably like a holdback from this year that you knew many of the games you were gonna play you were gonna love maybe you were gonna love a little bit more or a little bit less like what happened to you with spider-man but it's like you knew what you were getting i don't wait to an armor card six are the are the two from this year that i'm like I was not expecting I was going to get that and that I was going to come out of, the, uh, of, of them feeling like this. Like, now I have to go write a review after we're done recording with this for Alan Wake 2. And, uh, <laughs> and I have to, like, see if I can not just endlessly gush about it. Because it's just there's just so much about uh, this wonderfully unique video game. But uh, enough, of, en- enough of talking about Alan Wake 2. I have some brief thoughts on uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3, the campaign unlocked today, actually. So... I got to try the first five missions. I went to look at the list. There's actually five missions. And uh, as someone that was not a big fan of last year's Modern Warfare 2 campaign, uh, I thought it was like a little vapid, a little uh, trying to hit the trying to hit the greatest hits, but not doing it as well. And the, and the few original things that they were doing were not working. And it was kind of boring. And it was not paced well. It was like some even cooler levels overstayed their welcome, like that card level. That you're like jumping, uh, jumping, and then it's like oh, ruined, I remember. By, <laughs> ruined it by the controls. So cool, and then like because of how long it lasted. Yeah, you're it, like it I'm tired of this. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, so it's like so. In comparison, Modern Warfare Three campaign and the five missions that I played, they all feel perfectly lengthy. It's like at, at no point I'm like I'm tired of this. 
it feels better paced. Uh, tonally, at least, it's like still going in the right direction that I want out of it. Like I've always been very vocal that one of the things that I don't like about the 2019 campaign was its very self-serious, pretentious nature about like war crimes and like it's like the out of the headlines kind of things. And for a game that then like when you're actually playing is like uh it's like this is a little too self-serious for the kind of game that this really is and uh modern warfare 2 was better tonally by the Hogwarts levels i feel like this one has hit a better middle ground even though you sometimes see how this originally was gonna be dlc for the last game because that's how we learned about uh uh this year's call of duty was premium expansion for modern warfare 2 but they realized that oh people don't like that game we gotta move on quickly we can't like keep tethering it to the uh to, to the old one and improve movement and all that and you can kind of feel that more when you go into the big headline uh feature of this campaign which is like the sandbox open open levels which is like they, they even have a name the open combat missions that's what they call them uh so basically it's like you're thrown into a war zone map it's like if you're playing single player war zone there's story and all that but it's like you have a big war zone map like the mechanics are if you're like playing war zone like uh, putting the plates in uh looting boxes uh you can like use a rappel to like jump out uh, jump up like a, a big uh a big rope you can parachute everywhere it's like it bring it brings the gameplay for warzone into like a call of duty campaign and i tell you Paul, it's like i'm kind of kind of shocked how well it works in the context of single player like removed from like battle royales or even the spec ops mode from 2019 like being able to play this game like in in such an open way that I know for a fact the way I did the third level, which is called Reactor, which is in, in, in a nuclear facility, other than like the final moment of that game that is very scripted, I don't think you're going to approach how I approached it, that I was like just rambling my way out of things. Where it's like, the objective, go destroy three helicopters. How are you going to do that? You figure it out. And you can actually do that. And in the last one, like I, I reached a point where... I was trying to do stealth, but I feel this game has Assassin's Creed Valhalla problems of stealth that it feels like it's kind of hard. You're going to be seen so quickly, but you're not penalized by it. You just kind of go for it. And I had a helicopter pursue me as I'm running through this like nuclear reactor. And then I, I saw like a big tall building that I could rappel myself up because there was like a big rope there. And because you have a parachute um, that as part of like the mechanics of Warzone. That as soon as you have some distance, if you press the jump button, you can like put it put it up. I was like, oh, I see the hel- I see the helicopter, the final one that I have to destroy. I'm gonna jump in, and then I immediately like jumped in. Like the helicopter's like shooting at me as I'm as I'm uh, parachuting my way in, uh, and uh, I caught my parachute. I have my C force as I'm cutting it in. I throw two of them, put my parachute on again, and just fly to into like a, a container to hide myself in and activate the. I act- activate the C4 to destroy that and then you run into the middle building as I have like another helicopter show up just shooting and I'm being like surrounded by enemies and I'm just like booking it and trying to, to shoot my way. It's like it's so exciting because it's all I that that's all that I did. That's kind of like some of the beauty of being able to do open gameplay like this because you can tell this kind of like crazy, crazy stuff. And it's so funny to me to think about this in the context of this was DLC before it got blown up as a full game that some of the other like. The difference between those open combat missions and the normal missions is like very stark. To the point, it's like the way that the game controls in the normal missions is straight up the mechanics from Modern Warfare 2. And in the open missions, it feels like Modern Warfare 3. You know what it feels like if you played the Veda from a few weeks ago with the mm-hmm. with the new like being able to aim to the side and like as, as you're like sliding and the speed and, and the speed of movement, you feel that it's like that's so weird that it's like they that 
they have these two kinds of missions uh, like in response together. And you but do the weird aiming uh, in normal missions, by no. Itself? In, in normal missions, just in the open, in just in the open combat missions, it's like you feel you, you you feel it in the way those levels look mm. in the visuals because it's like grander. So obviously fidelity so kind of takes a little bit of a hit. But in like the more linear levels, like they look prettier. But like movement is way slower. It still has some of the things that I didn't like about the Modern Warfare Two campaign. The enemies with with uh, armor are back. In the, in you the, play in as the... the same character for all of it. Uh, no, different ones. You actually play as Farah. You play as Price. Also. Oh, that's right. You did tell me that. Um, yeah. I was trying to see if there was some kind of connection that they made narratively no. uh, in air quotes. Okay. I was no, like, literally. Yeah, literally. Really done something with that. But, no, literally. Uh, yeah, come, kind of like. Uh, no, it's funny because the second mission, uh, which is the first uh, open combat mission, is with Farah, and you start only with a knife. You can do that entire mission just with a knife and try to stealth your way out if you wanted to, and uh, then the third mission is with Price in that in the nuclear reactor thing. And then the fourth mission is with Price again, but again, it's like, oh yeah, it's like, I could do all this movement in his mission in open combat just a mission ago. Now in this one, like, when I'm sliding, I can't slide cancel. So it's like, there's a, there's elements where you can really see the seams of how they intersplice enough stuff to try to, like, make a he bigger headline that, oh yeah, this is not just more Modern Warfare 2. It's like, this is what we added. And I would say, like, even though... You can see how it could be seen as lasers. Like, oh yeah, these maps are totally. I've seen this map in the uh, ground in, in the ground war in the ground war mode, especially the third mission. Is like they had that exact same map in ground war in the during the beta. I, I played it, so I was like, oh yeah, they're reusing assets. But ironically, by reusing those assets, the campaign in a way feels fresher than Call of Duty has felt in a while. And. Uh, the last mission I played before we started recording is a stealth mission where you disguise yourself and you're walking around all that. So it's another one of those missions. So it's like uh -huh. they they hit you with uh, the variety really quickly, but it, the levels don't overstate or welcome either. And they, they even throw you a juggernaut in the fourth level, like it, it, like in the middle, like a couple of juggernauts yes. that you have to fight in. It's just like it's like I'm having fun with that with the campaign at least early on. That I I don't remember having as much fun with last year's campaign. Last year's campaign, I, I was struggling to feel engaged. Yeah, it was like, oh yeah, I'm finally, I'm finally hitting a crescendo. Oh god damn, it's like the level keeps on going and going. It's like, everything cool. Is or even the sniper, remember that stupid sniper mission? With the broken AI? Yeah. The fourth the fourth level is a riff on that mission, but not much better. In Modern Warfare 3. So, even though it's with the Modern Warfare 2 mechanics. It's like, at least there's improvement there. And the only thing that I'm now missing about this package is the zombie mode. I already played the multiplayer. Like, I already have my... I have my field. I know what that multiplayer is going to be like. Obviously, they've simplified it better. Like, some of those maps are cool to have back. Yeah, some of them don't read as well with the new engine. But they were doing stuff visually that they're going to try to fix that. So, definitely going to hold on verdict for that. Because that's another of my upcoming reviews. But so far, five missions in with the Modern Warfare 3 campaign. I like it way more than i did last year's so i can't wait for you to try it so enough of Looking forward to it yeah enough of that paul we got a few news to talk about so press x or some news and story number one this is we're talking about Alan Wake and Remedy. Let's stick in the let's stick in the Remedy realm. Uh, story by Wesley LeBlanc from Game Informer. Uh, 
Remedy provides update on Control 2, says Max Payne remakes are in production readiness stage. Remedy Entertainment released Alan Wake 2 last week, and both fans and critics alike seem to be pleased with the long-awaited sequel. And now, just a few days later, the studio has provided some updates to some games it has in development, including Control 2 and its remakes of Max Payne 1 and Max Payne 2. In its latest earnings report for the third quarter of 2023, Remedy says Alan Wake 2 launched with great reception laying the foundation for the future, although with the game having just launched, it has nothing to share in the financial performance of the game. However, the studio says we continue enhancing Alan Wake 2 with new updates and developing the two announced expansions to the game, adding that Alan Wake 2 marks the first of many great new game launches enabled by our multi-project model, which we have built over the years. Regarding those other games, Remedy has revealed that Condor, its cooperative multiplayer game, has progressed from the proof-of-concept stage to a production readiness stage, stating it has acquired valuable insights into developing service-based games and are now in a better position to create a game player game players can engage with for years. Codename Vanguard, Remedy's multiplayer game it's making in partnership with Tencent, it's set to hit the proof-of-concept stage by the end of the year. In April of last year, the studio revealed it was remaking Max Payne and Max Payne 2 The Fall of Max Payne after striking a deal with Rockstar Games, which holds the rights to the series. Now, a year and a half later, Remedy says Max Payne 1 and 2 Remake, which is a single game, has progressed into the production readiness stage. We have gained clarity on the style and scope of the game, and we have an exceptionally well-organized team working on it, uh, the earnings report says. With these accomplishments, we're excited about the project and its future success. And finally, Remedy's earnings report states that Control 2 continues to be in the proof-of-concept stage. The plans for the sequel are ambitious, and we have seen good progress both in the designs and in the game build, it reads. We have acquired valuable insights into developing service games too also in that one and are now in a better position to create game players can engage with for years interesting so remedy says that with alan wake 2 launch all four of these upcoming games will benefit from the additional talent transferring from alan wake 2 as it will enable the teams to take the necessary steps towards the next stages of development so if you're a big remedy fan you have a lot coming from them because they have built their studio to be able to support all of this <laughs> I am truly impressed at how Remedy just came out of the gate swinging because I don't know I'm just like a little blind or deaf, but I feel like we weren't hearing a whole lot from them, from them mm -hmm. besides like, hey, we're working and hey, Alan Wake 2 is going to come out soon. And then they just dropped that and now they're like, all right, we're going to open the floodgates and tell you all of these things that we've got mm -hmm. planned now yeah. because Alan Wake 2 just crushed it. <laughs> Yes. So good for them. Yeah, and the th the thing is that um, what's interesting about Remedy is that they used to be a studio that could only work on one game, and they would take forever. So, like for example, um, Max Payne and Max Payne Two came out in like two thousand one or two thousand four around that time, and then they announced Alan Wake in like two thousand five, and it came out in twenty ten. It took them that long because that was a game that they also had to scale back because it was supposed to be an open world game, a la GTA. That the scope of what they were trying to do was like got got away from them and they had to like cut it into something a little bit more linear but you see some elements of the open world nature of that first alan wake when you play the original because um, yeah, you can um you can drive in alan wake one mm -hmm. and over a decently sized space of land it's i wouldn't quite say maybe like battlefield um bad company one kind mm -hmm. of size but like it's it's decent like you're you're covering some distance there yeah so it was like imagine it was used to be more ambitious and then uh you can see more of that original ambition being recreated on 2, but that was a game that took them a long time, especially because then it eventually became a, a Microsoft uh, exclusive, 
Because it was originally announced for PS3 and 360, and then the Microsoft kind of snatched exclusivity for that in the 360 era. Then, uh, obviously, that game uh, didn't sell as well as it could have because it launched the same day as Red Dead 1 back in 2010. So, can you imagine that? No wonder. Yeah. So, that's when then Microsoft decided to kind of walk away from the Alan Wake IP despite the DLCs and American Nightmare. And then uh, Quantum Break was announced in 2013, came out in 2016 for... For the for the Xbox One, and that game was kind of like a, at the front forefront of Xbox's TV initiative, that they, they abandoned so quickly. Yeah, that's so, weird. So yeah, and especially with Remedy being like so big in live action, it was like, oh, like Xbox wants to do like a TV initiative for their next console, and we have kind of like those uh, those trappings. Let's do a game that takes full advantage of that. So obviously that's why we got Quantum Break with the big cool action shooter, and then. 20 30 minutes of an episode because there were five episodes of this TV show that were intertwined with your gameplay and you needed to watch them if you wanted to understand anything in that game and uh they recently because I reinstalled uh, Quantum Break on the Xbox on on the Series S and uh before you could only watch the cutscenes as they were being streamed directly through the Xbox store and then because they they can't something they can't that system they you can like uh now download those cutscenes uh natively but it's 75 gigs of video on top of the 40 uh, on top of the 45 of just the game so it's a big hefty file size because of the stupid tv show so then after and then quantum break didn't really sell well because it wasn't the xbox one no one cared about the xbox one in that at, at that time so then they moved to control there that was going to be like yeah we want to do a multi-platform game again and we want to see if we can do it on the cheap and kind of like uh, and start setting up the foundation for all of this control hit it didn't sell a lot initially but control is a game that sold a lot like over time with the re-release yeah. and like word of mouth and all that and because it was done on the cheap they um, they got amazing profit do you know they made like in 30 million dollars that's nothing right. that's like super cheap obviously work that they made it in finland or huh. wherever wherever yeah. remedy is and so it was like obviously like costs are different but they were able to make a lot of profit with that game and re-releasing it and then uh, sam lake had mentioned that they didn't want to just be doing one project at a time that they wanted to set a development cadence to be able to do many things at the same time and that's around the time that they reacquired the alan wake ip from microsoft because they were like you're not doing anything like we're gonna buy it from you and they were yeah. able to do that and that's what that's how we we got the remastered in 2021 and that's how we got and how we got the sequel because they set the foundation after control and they did the dlc that then by the time they required the ip they announced Alan Wake 2 in 2021 at the game awards two years later they put it out and look how quickly they put it out and how great of a game it is and that they have all these projects now there's two of them concern me a little bit like there's the uh the one with uh with tencent that i'm like mm, yeah it's like every time that i hear that you're working with tencent and something it's like that can get weird, yeah. and they did uh, because they did the they did this as a favor. Xbox acquired exclusivity of Crossfire X, like the but the multiplayer. But they kind of wanted to make it like a bigger deal, so they asked them, "Hey, can you help us with doing like a campaign for this bad game?" And Remedy took a bag and did a campaign of that game, but because it was tied on a bad game, it's like it was just bad overall. So, but that was part of like the multi nature of their studio now that there's like they're working on all these games now and uh with the quality and success i, I hope for alan wick 2 
was also done fairly cheap, like like Control, because yeah. I don't know, I, I don't know, like especially with Alan Wake 2 when it came out, I don't know if it's gonna be like a huge sales success either, but I would hope it is. I would have like, right now this game has strong word of mouth. Very, very strong word, on top of the reviews. It's, it's, your, it's the best reviewed Remedy game ever. So, and Remedy always, always reviews well, no matter what. So, Quantum Break is the only one that reviewed lower in comparison, but, uh, but kind of justifiably, I would say, because mm -hmm. I don't think there's really any, um, yeah, Quantum Break is their weakest game. Even all of these years later, I have had no desire to go back to Quantum Break. Like, it, it, the gameplay looks cool, but especially now that they've made Control, it's basically like, yeah, just it's better Quantum Break. Exactly. Yeah, it's like Control, uh, like Quantum Break flirted with the powers uh, that the power fantasy control yeah. just embraced it it was like at that point it's like why would you like do it out of, like why would you go back to that one out of just curiosity i would say from a presentation and graphics quality like quantum break is really interesting it's what set the foundation to how their games look now so mm -hmm. there's something for it it's like and it's been a while i haven't played it since 2016 that's why i reinstalled it so maybe i'll get it to try it whenever i'm done with modern warfare 3 so and just as a follow-up uh, to Remedy stuff, story number two moving over to VGC, uh, story by Jordan Midler. Analog's creative director wants to make a crazy, huge-budget, dark, gothic fantasy game. Uh, speaking in a new interview with GQ, the veteran developer was asked if he'd like to do anything else with, with his life, following his multi-decade career in games. Would I ever do anything else? Yeah, I'm still thinking that I will, he said. There will be a time when I retire, it's just that this has all been so engaging. One was this crazy, huge budget dark gothic fantasy, which I haven't used for anything yet. Lake, real name Sammy and Tara Jarvie, has served as creative director at Remedy Entertainment for decades, working on Wait, Max Payne. His real Payne. name isn't Sam Lake. No, it's Sammy and Tara Jarvie. I never realized that. Yeah, it's, of course he would go for it with a pseudonym. It's cool, Sam Lake. Yeah. Uh, and he t he liked my tweet today, by the way. <laughs> so, uh, big win, big win. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, working on Max Payne, Alan Wake, Quantum Break, and Control. He also famously provided his face for the in-game model of Max Payne in the early titles, and he also provides his face in, uh, for Alex Casey in Alan Wake, which is funny because Alex Casey is an analog to Max Payne. In fact, he has mentioned he, if he had the Max Payne IP, Max Payne would have been in the game, and Max Payne would have been the novel that Alan Wake wrote. Oh, Man, that's kind of that. that that's kind of like the idea. That's why, like the, the 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 Alex Casey of it all is like it's it's based on the of their idea of, of Max Payne. That's kind of like where yeah. those references come in, especially with him giving him the face, <laughs> which is the face of Max Payne. So I just kind of thought it was like all right, it fits, but I didn't think it was going to be like a direct Max Payne thing. But mm -hmm. man, I hope that they can one day get more to make more with Max Payne. And yeah, unfortunately, their competition is Rockstar, who is yeah. greedy and never wants to give up anything. Yeah, but hey, they did are they are working with Rockstar to do those remakes. So at least they're talking. So at least that's something. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'll take that. Yeah. So, yeah, a crazy, huge budget, dark, gothic fantasy game. I tell you, after Alan Wake 2, this if they're able to make this game, holy crap, that would be amazing. Just on the filmic nature of how they do games. It's like, to me, it's like they're, uh, just like, they're like how I see it, just how The Last of Us kind of set a template for the third-person action-adventure story-based game that we know kind of like the narrative-heavy base. I feel Alan Wake 2 shows, like, how you can level up the storytelling of that kind of game. Like, 
it, it's just so much more compelling because it's so uniquely a video game, while at the same time like being a film and, and like transcending its medium into being all these different things. That they have always strived for that. They hit that sweet spot with Alan Wake too. It's like it's yep. a, it's, it's such a reference and uh, and he's always had him. They always had them had it in them. That's why I say Alan Wake two is like their master, like their their magnum opus because that's where they nailed that and. Any game following from that's gonna be a doozy. So. I I don't know what they're going to do next, but I'm all here for it. As somebody who wasn't really, um, like, I would say I was a casual fan of all that mm-hmm. and Remedy stuff, and I played through the old Max Payne games back on PC when I could mm-hmm. um, get them on Steam. But now I I feel like I, I'm like sitting up, and I was like, all right, you had my curiosity. Now you have my you attention. have my attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've always been like to me. Remedy has been like what Insomniac had been like a great, consistently great developer that yeah. was always being overshadowed by others around them. But I'm like, Alan Wake Two feels like their breakout, like their absolute breakout. So I really hope that still resonates because it's like they're doing great work. It's like I'm really, really impressed so. with their game. Story number three, Paul. Uh, going back to Game Informer, this is a story by Marcus Stewart. Wolverine game set in the same universe as Marvel Spider-Man. Insomniac confirms. Since Insomniac revealed its Wolverine game two years ago, which is insane, that feels a long time ago, uh, fans yeah. have wondered if it's yeah, fans have wondered if it's set in the same universe as the studio Spider-Man games. In an interview with Kinda Funny, Spider-Man 2 director Brian Intihart confirmed the answer is yes. When host Greg Miller asked if it had been previously confirmed or denied whether or not their spin-off on Wolverine shared the same Earth as Spider-Man, Intihart replied by saying, They're all 1048. I think I got that right, but yeah. Antihar is referring to Earth 1048, which is the designation of the Marvel Universe Insomniac superhero games occupy. And you can see, uh, and you can kind of see the, the reference to that universe on across the Spider Verse when you see yeah. in, in in during the, uh, the the place where all the Spider Mans are, and you and, mm-hmm. and you see a cameo of the game. So whether or not that means we'll see any Spider Man references in Wolverine, which does not have a release window, remains to be seen. But that's exciting news, regardless. Marvel Spider-Man's New York City is chock full of reference to other heroes, such as Avengers Tower, the Sanctum Sanctorum, and the Wakandan Embassy, so it made more sense to imagine Logan doing his thing somewhere out there. And also, uh, people found the uh, Daredevil, like the... Yep. the it's, uh, they did the a hand, patch and, that added their uh, building back in and references to the hand. The hand, so yeah, it's like... I can't wait for them to say more about Spider-Man, too. Like, I, I told you, like, we knew, we knew about the... Uh, the city that never sleeps before Spider-Man 2018 came out. They didn't do the same with this one, so I'm like, where like obviously they got better give me that damn new game plus soon because I'm itching to play a game again, but I don't want to start from scratch. But uh, uh-huh. because it's it doesn't feel great going from from scratch, even playing yeah. like the default enemies and like I did uh, the ultimate difficulty and I didn't really have any issues, but at the same time, it's just, it doesn't feel right. <laughs> yeah, because you get a taste of how good it is after everything. It's like, that yeah. the upgrade, the upgrade, like, more than 2018, Spider-Man 2 is like, full upgrade suite really changes the feel of everything, it's in, especially so for Peter. Much. Because I keep, I, I keep saying, it's like, Peter with his spider legs, early on, with no upgrades, sucks. Absolutely yeah. sucks. Especially in comparison to Miles. It's until he gets further upgrades or the same year that he feels good so that's why i can't wait for the new game plus because i would love to be able to use the spider legs and for them to feel so good at the beginning that would feel cool yes so i feel like uh the upgrades made the spider legs a lot better 
for exactly, sure. Exactly. Exactly. But again, it's kind of like a problem with their balance. Yeah, the gadgets. Miles, yes. <laughs> the gadgets were also way better. <laughs> uh, but that's why Miles felt better at the start. He didn't need power. Like, he didn't need upgrades for, like, his Venom powers to feel good from moment one. So... But enough for Spider-Man. Story number four, staying with um, st- staying with uh, Game Informers, Wesley LeBlanc. Lies of P sequel confirmed. DLC teased with two new images. Lies of P launched back in September to both critical and fan acclaim. After a September patch that included various changes to make the Souls-like action RPG easier, game director Juwan Chua has released a director's letter to confirm plans for a Lies of P sequel, teased DLC for the game with two new images and more. So Shuai began the video thanking players for helping the game sell 1 million copies in less than 2 months after release. He then sneakily drops a line confirming that Pinocchio-inspired Souls-like is getting a sequel. Our highest priority is developing the DLC and working on the sequel, Chua says in the director's letter. The dev team is putting in significant effort, brainstorming and exploring different aspects of the project. That's all Chua shares about the sequel, but it's nice to hear the team is working on one. And if you've been in the of P and watched this post-credit scene, you can likely guess where it's headed. I, by the way, Paul, do you have you heard like what the teased? Well, uh, you told me what it was, um, which mm-hmm. it sounds like it's Neverland, isn't it? No, no, the Neverland is for the DLC. The sequel is something else. Oh, oh no, I have no idea then. Okay, uh, slight spoilers for Lies of P, people. So, Dorothy. Oh, um, Wizard of Oz. Yes. Oh. Okay. Yeah, the sequel will be nice. Sequel like like Wizard of Oz themed. <laughs> so. Hmm. Very yes. interesting. So we're going through like literary, literally, uh, like the liter- literally classics. That's kind of going to be okay. that's going to be really cool. So, and speaking of DLC, uh, uh, Chua also shared two new images from Lies of Peace in development DLC. The first image appears to be some kind of laboratory, perhaps a place where people in Krat experimented on humans to create monsters, seen in the later half of Lies of P. The second image is vastly different, showing Pinocchio on a ship on the water. It's very piratey, and some in. Image clues suggest that perhaps this DLC will be taking us to Neverland to help or fight Captain Hook, Peter Pan, and others. But that's just pure speculation. Check uh, the pictures in if you if you want. And then upcoming Life of Pete uh, details. They say that elsewhere in the director's letter, Chua shares some details about an upcoming patch coming to Life of Pete that should make the game more approachable. Here's a look at the Life of Pete patch details and other future plans. The team will tweak the performance of the blade and handle combinations available in the game. The studio will make the Shovel Puppet and Venigni works easier to defeat. Rising Dodge will be a default skill, and Polandia will set two more additional quartz in the first stage of the shop to help you upgrade the P-Organ quicker. An Alidora mask and costume will be added to the game and free for all players. An extra cosmetic facial slot will be added so that players can wear hats and glasses. New wearables including the Alchemist hat and additional glasses will be added to the game. The team is preparing to release the game's soundtrack which will encompass almost every song and include more than 60 tracks. Chua says the team is still discussing patch release plans, but that it's aiming for this month. So, Lies of P was excellent in what I played. That was the, like Lies of P is the closest I felt a Souls-like, not made by From Software, has felt to a From Software game. And what's holding me back is like everything else that came out around that time that Lies of P came out. And also, I kind of want to play it on PS5 instead of the Series S because the controller for me. The PS5 controller just works better for a Souls-like than the Xbox controller. I don't know. I, I don't know why. It's just like it just feels right. Kind of like uh, the Xbox controller just feels right for shooters. Uh, the, yeah. the, the the PS5 controller just feels better for that kind of game. I kind of waited to see if it gets a sale soon because this is one of those games that is a sleeper. Kind of like again, like 
how we felt Armor Core 6 and Alan Wake 2 were the big surprises for us. Lies of P is yeah. in that list for many people. So that's yeah, a game that I kind of want. Yeah. I kind of want to see like, like this is that that's one of those games that kind of got away from me that I kind of want to see. Uh, see if I can see it through before the end of the year. Before we ever do like Game of the Year. So. Final weekend because it would be nice. Yeah, final story, and this was a really distressing one for a game that we haven't been playing much lately because of the year that's been, but also because it has not been a really good year for this game. It's certainly going in the thumbnail. (laughs) Yeah, Destiny 2 Deb Bungie hit with layoffs just 15 months after PlayStation acquisition. This is a story with three updates, so. I'm gonna read all three updates, starting with the with the original story on Monday, uh, October 30th. Destiny 2 developer Bungie, which was a story by Wesley LeBlanc from Game Informer. Uh, Destiny 2 developer Bungie, which was acquired by PlayStation last year for 3.6 billion, is the latest game maker to be hit with layoffs in 2023. Various former Bungie employees announced on Twitter today they had been laid off, and Bloomberg has confirmed with its sources that an undisclosed number of staff were laid off that day. Bloomberg reports that Bungie CEO Pete Parsons told staffers they'd be hearing some news today and that following it, there will be a team meeting later uh, later that day to discuss that day's events. As for why employees were laid off, that remains unclear. That was at the time. Especially as the company is set to release a massive Destiny 2 expansion, the final shape that's set to end the decade-long saga that began in the first Destiny game. Bloomberg states that its sources say the final shape has been delayed internally to June 2024. Months after its previously announced February 27, 2024 release date. By the way, Paul, that same day, Final Fantasy, that was around the same time as Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to juggle both those two. Game, a Game Informer reached out to PlayStation and will update the story if it learns more. Uh, in January of 2022, Sony announced it was acquiring Bungie for $3.6 billion and completed the purchase in July of 2022. These layoffs come less than two years after the purchase. And then the first update on the, the next day. Bungie has yet to reveal how many employees it laid off just uh, on, on Monday, and it hasn't given an official reason why. However, as more more former employees have shared details about the layoffs, we continue to learn who else was affected. It's now it's how we know famed Destiny 2 composer Michael Salvatore, who also worked as co-composer alongside Marty O'Donnell on games like Halo Combat Evolved, Halo 2, Halo 3, and more, was either laid off or voluntarily left amidst the studio layoffs. It's currently unclear because, as noted by Video Games Chronicle, Destiny 2 community animator Carson Reed claims he was laid off, according to their own internal sources, but Windows Central's Jess Corden says he's heard Salvatore may have retired voluntarily. Nonetheless, Destiny Bulletin on Twitter noticed that on Salvatore's website, it no longer features the paragraphs where he describes his past and current work. Instead, it says, Gone fishing, smiley emoticon. Uh, elsewhere in the news of Bungie's layoffs, studio CEO Pete Parsons tweeted about the events, which is the first official address from the Destiny 2 maker. Today is a sad day at Bungie as we say goodbye to colleagues who have all made a significant impact on our studio, he writes in a tweet. What these exceptional individuals have contributed to our games and Bungie culture has been enormous and will continue to be part of Bungie culture long into the future. The final update that came out on November 1st. IGN and Bloomberg have learned new information about the layoffs that occurred at Destiny 2 Maker Bungie this week, including that roughly 100 employees were laid off from the company. As for why, IGN sources report that during an employee meeting after the layoffs, Bungie CEO Pete Parsons told staff that the layoffs were due to the underperformance of Destiny 2 over the last year, as well as lower than expected pre-orders for the upcoming expansion, The Final Shape. 
Employees were, report were reportedly told that Destiny 2 player sentiment had reached an all-time low and IGN sources say employees at the studio have attempted to discuss this with Bungie's leadership, asking to make the necessary changes presumably to get player sentiment back up. Bloomberg reports that roughly 8% of Bungie's game unit staff were laid off due to Destiny playtime hitting a low, with IGN's sources say roughly 100 people were laid off, but Bloomberg also reports that sales at Bungie are running 45% below projections. And finally, IGN's own sources confirmed that information released by Bloomberg earlier this week, stating the Final Shape expansion for Destiny 2 had been internally delayed from its February 2024 release date to June. Plus, the publication reports that Marathon, which Bungie revealed earlier this year as a multiplayer extraction shooter, has been delayed to 2025. This week, Paul is has been a Bungie apocalypse in in, in the lights I have never seen. Like, obviously, I, we talked about how bad it was for Bungie back during the, the Activision days, the Forsaken, the. Um, no, not Forsaken. The Trials of Osiris. Sorry, yeah, Curse no, of Osiris. Whatever that Curse, was. Thank you. Curse of Osiris. Curse of Osiris and the, the War Mine one, whatever mm -hmm. that was called. Yeah. But this is, I think this is way worse. Yeah. At least there was like an attempt for that. They were just dealing with some rough stuff. They were having some misfires, but they were still getting things out. Yeah. There were scapegoats. The scapegoat yeah. was Activision. Now, and like, this if, time, it, yeah, this time, like, no scapegoats because. As I was telling, as I was telling our clan uh, when all this was breaking, it's like because everyone was like, "Oh yes, like uh, everyone said that uh, uh, Bungie under Microsoft and Activision was like bad. Like it's like worse now under Sony." People gotta remember, it's like how they got acquired by Sony was like a, by a limited vertical integration. So that means like Bungie exists under Sony Corp, but outside PlayStation, kind of like as its own thing. And in the contract stipulation, they were like, they're operating on their own. They make their own decisions. That's why their games are going multi-platform when other PlayStation games are only exclusives. So it's like, on that stipulation, these layoffs came from Bungie. We learned. And they came off in like the worst, like the most scummiest way possible. Some of the things that uh, Paul Tassi was reporting that we, he, he kept updating us because he had sources in. He was like finding information on his own, kind of like how they were... Uh, Laying off people uh, very suddenly, uh, cutting off access immediately, or just like hoping they were only gonna read the email where they were laid off and all that. It was like, um, and especially the worst part is how are you running 45% below projection earnings? Like, after Lightful was your one of your most successful, like, sold through uh, expansions, as our friend Duncan, uh, mentioned in the chat it was the thing is that lightfall was such a disappointment no one stuck together it's like i, I when was the last time you played destiny paul just out of curiosity uh <laughs> at least a couple of months yeah and i may have deleted it yesterday yeah um, but because it was 115 gigs. I saw it. I saw it today. I was like, a lot of gigs, and I had a lot of things to play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll it's go like, back to it eventually. Yeah, it's like uh, the game has just not been in a good shape. This season, season of the witch, is the one that people are saying, okay, they had a good season here. It's like the seasonal model has changed slightly. Uh, new progression. It's like uh, the th the theme has been cool and all that. The weapons not so much. Uh, the Crota's End Raid was like really well received, a reprisal for the people that wanted difficulty. It was like, it caked a lot of streamers' ass during the during the day one. 
in a way that uh, the raid that came out with Lifehold didn't. Uh, but it's like the synth that that's what it always is like. You need your expansion to be good, like at least that initial wave, so that the goodwill can carry you through a year. In a year as good as 2023, when it comes to game releases, like with banger after banger after banger after banger, and with a looter like Diablo 4 that hit the ground running really strong with its launch. Obviously, uh, it faltered with, with their season one, but apparently, season two for Diablo is actually really good. And I've been like debating on like, should I reinstall? Because I've been hearing really good things. Like Hogue was selling me on it when I I've been chatting with him because he keeps he's like been playing Diablo a lot. So. And he's been selling it over at the bidcast. So I'm like, mm. you have all this like in- immense competition. The quality of the games that we've been getting has just like been exceedingly high. That the quality of Destiny needed to be Witch Queen level and more to be able to compete. The fact that it's below even Beyond Light. Like, of what Destiny had been for a while. And seasonal is like, at a certain point, it was like, I think it was around the time we played Diablo. It was like, now we feel like we feel like we're being scammed of our time in Destiny. Like, look how rewarding Diablo is from moment to moment. It's just like the misterly loot you get from Destiny just in activities alone, especially because it's so old. Like we reach a point where it's like uh, we're at such a high end with how level up our characters are that it's like meaningful progression is like so stilted because the game is so damn old now. It's six years old uh, compared to something fresh. So when you hit all of that and the quality not being as good. Uh, of course, there's not going to be retention, but I'm like, what were you thinking you're going to earn if you're like 45% below? That's like, can you imagine like how under you have undershot? It's like, that's a failure in management. That's a failure of whoever the CFO was. That's a failure of whoever was making like those earnings projections. And the, and the worst part is seeing that the people that suffer are not those people making those decisions or that projected those earnings. It was the people that doing the grunt work who... We see in the sources, they knew that sentiment had not been good. It has not been good since like uh, season of the deep, like the first season for this year post launch. It's like that is not an open secret. It's like Destiny is having a horrible year this year, and it's the worst possible time for you to have a horrible year on top of like the immense competition you have, and you're leading to your ending with the final shape. You're reaching the end of your ten year saga, and. Instead of like we, we saw that showcase, we reacted as like we our, our, our reacts didn't do as the the numbers that our reacts for Lightfall did last year. That told me a lot. Is like sentiment is not good for the game. There was so much high going into Lightfall and the Lightfall reveal because the Witch Queen was so good. It's like the the chickens came to roost or like like the the sins of Lightfall came to roost in the in in the, in, in this year and it's just so sad. It's like it's been like so heartbreaking seeing like. More, more and more layoffs that I've been reading, but losing Michael Salvatore when that happened, I was like, you have just, like, committed suicide. Like, creative suicide. You can't, or... He says that, yeah, they, that, that whole thing with retirement, that's usually how, like, sometimes they try to, like, work in a slight layoff to a long-tenured employer, because it's like, at the end of the day, it's a layoff. Like, like whether it's because... He was actively working on the on, on the soundtrack for the final shape. That was in the story. You could do the Wayback Machine of his of his website where he was like, yeah, actively writing uh, the the soundtrack for the final shape. And then I was like, gone fishing. And the uh, even the composer that helped him write the Deep Stone Lullaby. Remember, uh, 
it, it's like a, a piano, super quiet uh, song from like the Deepstone Crypt Raid when you're like in the jumping puzzles and all that. It's like, it's like he also put in his website, Gone Fishing with Salvatore. So it's like he also got like, I doubt he also got, but yeah, he's been like, yeah, you're, you should retire. Like, yeah, take the retirement. It's like, those are like, Halo and Destiny more than any other franchise are defined by their music. Yes, I have been very big about music recently, Paul, like as we've talked in our chats, yep. but it's like, <laughs> no one can deny that the soul of those games swells with their music. That's part of their identity. And Salvatore was that soul. Mario Donnell gave the bombast. He's probably, he, he, he's probably dr- the drums guy, basically, and the front-facing guy. But the one that gave the solemn feel and spirit of those games was Salvatore, and now he's gone. So it's like... I had been hearing that apparently he finishes work for the final shape, and that, to me, makes it clear. It's like, I don't think Destiny has a future anymore beyond the final shape. They said that they were there were episodes because they re- I used to think there was going to be something, but at this point with the way they just cleared house, even mm-hmm. if they put something out there, it's not gonna have the musical stamp of mm-hmm. one of the greatest composers of this modern day. Yeah. It's not going to have a lot of these really big name people. The fact that I'm hearing um after the fact a lot of people were like hey we really want to make this better because we heard about how poorly this mm-hmm. was received and like the lower uh in uh income from it mm-hmm. what can we do we're gonna like yeah. tighten our belts and like work together on this and they were ready getting yeah. fired yeah without warning just like you have less than an hour get out of our building like mm-hmm. what in the world I can't believe that's even a real thing sometimes. Yeah. And like, how inhumane. In the business space. Yeah. Like how messed up that is to be like, well, we're so big. We're just going to keep plugging away. We're just, yeah. just get out. Leave. I saw, I saw, a re, I saw a retweet from DMG, which is one of the, uh, one of the community managers. He went to leave the keys to the car to a employee that got laid off that suffered a stroke last year. That's, horrible it's like just like it's like and the worst part bungie out of many studios really love painting the image of this benevolent studio that's great to go work in is like was all inclusive so much that um we added a new latino thing for for like latin at bungie for the latino latinas latine and uh, latinx and like that, that that whole thing was like blew on their faces so like severely because it was like the the uh the people that they were saying that they were going to represent felt offended before using these kind of terms also so it's like uh, they have always been that kind of company but then you read that is like don't you dare ever say that that company like th- they can never ever say that for their company ever again like they can't it's uh especially with the kind of like these have been layoffs that have been like how many times have we been hearing layoffs this entire year it's been like really catastrophic how uh, like uh there's been like six thousand people that have been laid off from the game industry this year and a year where many of the companies who these people got laid off from were posting record earnings so it's like how does that even make sense like the greed from the c-suite to flaunt because that's the thing like when i hear that a company's laying off people over missed earnings or something like that. It sucks, but that's understandable. It's like, oh yeah, they didn't make the money, so obviously they gotta like cut. But 
not so long ago they were praising the high success of Delightful. To then for us to come learn that they really or like they really undershot despite the massive success of Delightful is like they put themselves in horrifically unrealistic expectations of what that game was supposed to make, especially for a game as old as that, and that is not the top the talk of the town anymore. It's like we played it because we're addicted. Like we're playing it because we're addicted. We like we like the feel. It's like I've been in it, that game for a while, but it's like I've been through that game enough to know that what this game was in popularity at the beginning is not even close to what it is now. Why are you like overshooting like that? This is like that's just gross incompetence and gross mismanagement, and that and that really sucks, especially for the people that you know. It's like there's always this meme of like, is Bungie really listening to criticism? We know they are. Like we know yeah. they are, and that's at least they were. Yes, they were. <laughs> so, and uh, they put out a. Let me see if I can find it real quick. This is the, the final thing because they put a this week. Uh, the, this week and Bungie got delayed, but they put a a statement basically. And um, thought I saw that. Yeah, it's like it's called our path forward. Let me let me read it. They didn't put a name of who wrote this, so it's just a destiny to dev team. Our path forward. This has been one of the most difficult weeks in our studio's history, as we parted ways with people we respect and admire. We spend this week supporting one another, including those who are at the studio, as well as friends and colleagues who no longer are. We want to acknowledge the feedback and concern you have about Lightfall in recent seasons, as well as your response to the reveal of the final shape. We know we have lost a lot of your trust. Destiny needs to surprise and delight. We haven't done this enough, and that's going to change. To us, to us the path forward is clear. We need to make the final shape an unforgettable Destiny experience. We want to build something that will be regarded alongside the best games we've ever made. A fitting culmination that honors the journey we've been on together for the past 10 years. Forsaken, the Witch Queen, and the Taken King. These are the standard barriers we aim to live up to. We are intensely focused on exceeding your expectations for the final shape. Destiny 2 has more than 650 dedicated teammates pouring all their energy and expertise into delivering this epic moment and the subsequent episodes. In the weeks ahead, you'll be hearing more from us about what's next on the short-term horizon, beginning with our next season in late November. Afterwards, we'll begin to unpack our team's bigger, bolder, and brighter vision for the final shape, as well as the bridge we plan to build to take us all out of this darkness and into the light. See you, Starside, the Destiny to Death team. The most uh, generic statement you could possibly put out, and especially emphasizing, oh yeah, we have 650 people still working on this thing so it's like oh yeah but didn't you just have to didn't you used to have like 750 then because you laid off like 100 mm. so is that supposed to like engender any confidence especially knowing that they're still also working on marathon which you do you see the tweet that i posted yesterday that asked across like later that later, the later. one the the people who play tarkov yeah, and asked yeah. them if they would play marathon tomorrow if it was out and nobody raised nobody their raised hands, hands. <laughs> what a just brutal oh this is this is like diablo immortal kind of a reaction the it's like clearly they are making somebody that people didn't want Mm -hmm. like they wanted destiny to get fixed and they were like we're gonna make a new extraction shooter and then ruin everything yeah (laughs) so it's like what the heck yeah they moved they moved all the key talent like the leads from destiny moved over to marathon and like, it was like the front-facing leads that you know worked on the best content of this game. Taking King and Witch Queen. Or, or, I mean, uh, Forsaken. Witch Queen was made by a different team, and they were able to make something good despite not using the same team. But the PvP community of Destiny has been like in disarray for years. Being like, 
Why are there no maps? Why does it feel like they're neglecting this big element of the game that has 500,000 people almost weekly average just on Steam playing? Like, um, again, because they're like, oh yeah, a lot of people are relatively playing. We don't even, we're not doing anything. Let's keep it that way until it finally, like, that that garbage hit the uh, hit hit the fan. But, uh, but yeah, man, it's like... Uh, then when they learn, oh yeah, uh, the, the entire PvT, PvP team moved to Marathon, and you hear this, that's extra salt in the wound of like, so they jerked off the Destiny 2 PvP community for this other game that apparently like, the people that they're aiming for, the Tarkov people are like, no, is that what we played? Nope. Even though apparently there was another source that came out and being like, uh, that Bungie made it clear that this was pre-alpha, and that was just kind of like data gathering, but even if you're pre-alpha state, the audience that you're pursuing is not feeling it is like oof like that's a big oof i'm still gonna play final shape i'm still gonna play final shape especially if this comes out in june next year next year is not looking uh, like the release uh monstrosity that this year was so we'll definitely we need something to play so the final shape in june seems like something that well at least is like we'll have something to play and I kind of want to see how they decide to end this 10-year 10 10-year 10 thing, but unless they prove otherwise, like that's that that's the exit ramp. That's like I gave this game 10 years of my life, more than I ever given any game in my life. Like it's like that that that's a first for me. It's like I want to see at least the end, but I don't blame people that already like from our clan already deleted. Uh, obviously, if you're listening, yes, <laughs> it's a it's your it's your thing as a. Uh, so yes, it's like sad times because it sucks because I see my clan play, I see our clan, they play Minecraft, and I'm like, that's so cool. At least they're fine. It's like I don't have like I, I wish I could have another game that I will enjoy playing like that as just gathered with some friends. But that's the thing I love the most about Destiny, especially the PVE yeah. side of things. I just can't it was do probably more fun than any playing something by itself was mm -hmm. actually being around other people, answering questions when you knew the answers to it, mm -hmm. and having people that you could be like, hey, I don't understand this. Could you help me out? And yeah. then they're just there. It's, um, I really, I do miss that. And like, if the right circumstances come across where everybody's wanting to jump back on Destiny together, mm -hmm. I'll be there. But yeah, hopefully it'll be some game that we all want to play equally in yeah. the future as well even if it's not destiny yeah this is when a destiny killer a destiny replacement would sound really nice around this time but because everyone decided to pursue battle royales instead it's like it's only diablo but even diablo is like the subject matter of diablo makes it hard for me to like want to keep investing in it even though it's really fun mm -hmm. so i know that they were talking about the division i never finished the warlords of new york for that one but the division's different well, they, from Destiny. They mentioned D Division Two specifically, yeah. which I only played the very the early yeah. parts of the the launch co campaign Content. version. Mm -hmm. I could not tell you anything that happened in that game. No, nope. uh, I don't nothing, even know if I still have it. Yeah, nothing really happened. They really like uh, didn't do story much in the, the Division Two. They they built the game towards the things that they saw people lean more towards from the first game. And the first game had more of a story. It had more a cooler setting. It had a cooler uh, theme. It had a cooler uh, kind of like uh, inciting event, the black like the Black Friday flu or something like that that leaves New York in the perpetual winter. Is like such a cool idea for a game that that 
way different for the second game, even though the second game plays better, has better systems, but hopefully we figure that out, because it's like, I do miss being able to play with it, because I've been lurking, I uh, I joined the channel, kind of like how I told you, that I convinced two of our clan buddies to get Alan Wake 2, it's like, I lurked into uh, one of their boys' chats, I was chatting with them, I sent them links of what I was playing, and they're gonna buy it, so it's like, it's cool to at least just jump in into their Discord and just talk, because it's fun. That's the thing that I'll always appreciate Destiny for doing for me. Because it's like, I was a very singular, I'm just going to play single player games and listen to a podcast kind of gamer. So, which is what makes this hurt so much, seeing this. So, my heart got, my heart goes to everyone that got laid off. Uh, the Salvatore music has been in rotation for me recently because I feel like I'm in mourning. And his music is just so damn good. Uh, do you listen to the, the title screen music that I linked? From like the vanilla Destiny 2, like it's so, so oh, amazing. It's like I didn't they're... listen to it then, but I can kind of hear it in my head mm-hmm. whenever I close my eyes. You know, yeah, it's because I, it's... it's so perfect. It's like that. The Destiny 2 music is just so, it, that that soundtrack. I remember is like I mean, when there's that... a reason why that poster before mm-hmm. the game even launched stayed it's up on he... my wall yeah. for so many years. Yeah, Man. it's like. It's so good. It's like oh. it's, the Salvatore music is like forever will go as some of my favorite music ever in any game. Especially just listen to the title screen music. Just put Destiny 2 title screen music HD. You'll find it. It's like, especially from the vanilla, there was just something rousing about like the new. When Destiny 2 was new, there was something powerful about that music. So, so much. Yeah. So, Paul, that's the end of the news. Read the few releases for the week of November 5th to November 11th, 2023. All right. Let me get this out of the way. All right, so the first thing we have is The Invincible on PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X, and S and PC on November 6th. Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl 2, PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X, and S, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC November 7th. I do want to mention, Alejandro, look up The Invincible. Um, it looks really interesting, yeah. actually. Yeah, uh, um, Ains, Ains, my EIC, was re- has been reviewing it. He got a code for that. It's like so. a space mystery game uh-huh. I saw. That was... Yeah, it, it caught my curiosity yeah comic anyway, curiosity too mm-hmm. uh salt and sacrifice on the switch on november 7th berserk mm-hmm. recharge on playstation 5 xbox series x and s playstation 4 xbox one switch and pc on mm-hmm. november 9th like a dragon gaiden the man who erased his name on playstation 5 xbox series x and s playstation 4 xbox one and pc on november 9th and lastly call of duty modern warfare 3 playstation 5 xbox series x and s playstation 4 xbox one pc on november 10th and you can play that now if you pre-order and you can play the campaign yes yeah like you a dragon campaign right yeah the, only a campaign that's kind of, okay that was an ingenious thing they did last year with modern warfare 2 because that's why I bet that's how many because one of the things that I thought I was being gaslit in last year was remember when we were hearing people being like the Modern Warfare Two campaign is one of the best campaigns of the series and we're like and we're like what and I feel like what happened is like and I feel it proves many people when they bought other Call of Duty's immediately jumped into multiplayer because everything was there by them splicing the campaign for like a week early it's kind of like a incentive to just start playing the game. That was a brilliant move to get people to play the campaign again. So I can imagine many people when they play that and they have not played a campaign in like forever, it would feel like, oh, this is one of the best ones. But no, people, it's not. The Modern Warfare 2 campaign is one of the worst ones. Maybe not the worst, but it's like in that bottom tier. I have them all ranked. I'm going to do an article about that. <laughs> so, uh, from When I did that playthrough from 2020 on, I still have that. <laughs> I still have all of that like written. It's, so, 
I yeah, remember. But, yeah, so. Oh, like. So, well, that's uh, The Invincible. I really want to hear more because I really heard good things about it from Ains. So. <laughs> and then, like, a Dragon Gate in this Game Pass. So. Are we resubbing soon? <laughs> we might resub for yeah. everything else, but. I wouldn't do it for no. I like I want to resub. I, I want I want to resub sub for Lies of P because I still have yeah. that and uh, I want to go back to Starfield. I, I think we to might us. be able to get away with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I kind of want to change the date of when we we're like paying our month because the other one was like twenty the twenty first. So okay. So yeah. So yeah. That's uh that's this week's episode, Paul. So where can people find you? As always, y'all can find me at Dork of Art on Twitter. I have been posting some really hilarious little uh, video clips. Um, actually, Alejandro, did you notice that that thing that happened to me in Alan Wake Remastered happened yeah. a second time? Yes, it's so hilarious. The thought that the tractor um, thing. <laughs> yep, the tractor thing. There's little moments of uh, gold buried in the middle of all of that. And then it's uh, sometimes me posting things. I am adamant I'm going to start posting pictures of my random sketch journal entries Mm -hmm. um because i don't post enough art and i don't draw enough really good art because i'm never in front of my computer Mm -hmm. in a drawing capacity for that so yeah Yeah. that's what i do what about you they can find me at a underscore dorsegobi on twitter slash x they can find uh my promotions of the podcast and instagram slash threads at all hundreds ago 93 and they can find my written content at both SeasonGaming.com and my website, TheCriticalCorner.com. You can read my Spider-Man 2 review and Super Mario Wonder review over at CriticalCorner.com right now. And Alan Wake 2 review coming soon in Season Gaming. So, that's it for this week's episode. I'm going to go play more okay. Call of Duty so I can be done with that. And uh, yep. st- then face the reality, Paul, that release season is over. And then I'll have to look back. And see what I want to play again. <laughs> so, all right, uh, hurry and finished so that you can try I it. Can, I can also play it. <laughs> yes. So, and everyone, thank you for listening to this week's episode. We couldn't do it without you. I love seeing like the increasing numbers of the extra episodes that I've been posting has been like has worked with the algorithm with the algorithm, and especially that like, you you saw the reach right what I've showed you on on uh, um, for 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 the audio. I showed you a screenshot. Be like, look how many people is this reaching? Now. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that was insane. What was it yeah. like, twenty four hundred or something ridiculous? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh in gosh. like a month. So it was like, Ooh, it's growing. Thank you, Spotify. I hated you for oh, absorbing. I, I hated you for absorbing Anchor, but in the end, like they actually are like showing it and recommended to people. So I'm like, yeah, I guess it had to work for something. So well, and it. and with that, enjoy some games, people. Enjoy November with the coldness. Like, stay safe. Touch some grass if you can walk outside and press X to play. Good night, everybody. Hasta la vista, baby.